You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, folks, you're listening to The Hang, hosted by the Broadway Podcast Network. This week, I got to hang with a great actor, singer, writer, and friend, Nadim Naman. Nadim and I first worked together last year on Rumi the Musical, which is the show he co-created with Donna Alfardan that was inspired by the Middle Eastern poet Rumi. It was such a joy and privilege to work on that show, which really spoke to me and my heritage. And in this podcast, Nadim and I discuss our experiences of being Middle Eastern in a Western world, some shared, some very different. We also talk about how our industry is changing for the better when it comes to accepting artists of different backgrounds. I really enjoy chatting to Nadim, and I'm so inspired by him and the work he creates. Take a listen. Speaking of names, though, I remember I was on a cruise ship once and I was doing a cabaret. And they're letting the, compo- the compare was there. And here we have opening the show. We have Ramin. And you can see his brain's like, fuck, what's his last name? How do you even say it? Ramin. <laughs> Ramin. <laughs> and as I walked out, we were crossing like that. He's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. My surname is Nadim Naman. Yeah, you know it. Nadim Naman, welcome to The Hang. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. It's cool to be here. I've missed you. I've missed you too. That roomie was quite the experience. It's been like, it was what, about six, seven weeks ago, but it feels like a long time. A lot, it feels like a lot's happened since then. Yeah. And I feel like we did a, that was quite an intensive 10 days, two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. For me personally too, because I was just flying back from New York, I believe, or I was off to New York. Yeah, you just got, you had just got back. We were juggling a lot. Uh, and we were juggling a lot. And we picked it up. Like we started working on the project about a year ago, I guess. But it was very sort of, of bitty. Course. Like a few days here, a few months, a few days here, a few months. And then the whole, the, the actual show, it was, yeah, it was two weeks. Yeah, because we obviously recorded the album as we well. We did, yeah. Which was yeah. sorely overlooked at the Grammys. Sorely overlooked. In favour of, in favor of albums of, of things that have been recorded like many times, which I think is a bit of a shame. Well, but hey. All I'll say, because I'll never doesn't matter what else is in the category. I, when I first, up, here's the timeline. You sent me the music. I remember you sent me the whole breakdown for Sham's character. This interview is about you, by the way, not me. <laughs> but it's about your work. Um, and I remember you said, we're going to do Rumi the musical. And my ego, oh, Rumi, yeah, I'd love to play Rumi. Oh, no, you're Shams. I read the character. 50s, 50s, what the f-? And I remember right away, I'm like, Nadine, 
what are you you're gonna change the age what's going on then you sent me the music and i remember it was just piano tracks with your uh scratch yeah like the, or, the original demos yeah instantly wrote you back we're doing this oh, this amazing. is some of the most beautiful music and then we recorded the album again it wasn't a full orchestration mm -hmm. some midi stuff just enough to get by mm -hmm. then when you sent me the album i can't believe the production on it they you have the producers obviously we love them they're amazing auburn jam auburn jam, yeah. auburn jam music yeah. and i wrote i remember right away i'm like you got to put this in for a grammy mm. it's stunning it was um it was a very special project and uh i think what we what we really had on our side all along was just the uniqueness of it mm. you know the combination of west end slash broadway style um in approach but with a sound world and a subject matter that was very much of persia and the middle east and on top of that sort of cast of 16 giant orchestra mm. um doing all of that in a lockdown as well so <laughs> recording across continents on zoom and yeah it, it was just a one-of-a-kind project i think and um my favorite part of the whole experience was being able to approach performers such as yourself and offer an opportunity for you to do what you love doing but tap into your past and your heritage and your family and your upbringing and I feel like that's something I only discovered a few years ago um, because you, well, you, you'll have had a similar experience when you when you start working in the West End you're you're kind of anglicized you're kind of trying to fit in with everybody else and there aren't any opportunities for you to express your your cultural heritage um, and then yeah putting some Middle Eastern stories on their feet opens that door which I think is really cool yeah, there's some things in there that resonate and there's some things that instantly I wanted to, when you talk about, because with our careers, I never really thought about representation. And you know, we've had these discussions together privately and I'm mm. like, I'm not, I get this almost allergic reaction talking about representation because <laughs> I'm like, I've been Iranian all my life and now people want to talk about it. Fuck off. Mm. You know, I, I feel like we represent by just showing up, working yeah. hard, being part of who we are is who we are, you yeah. know? So like I brought the Iranian defense. That's it. That's you, what I was always it. trying to. It's a really good try to do. Now you were already doing it. You my question, like I remember in when I got to roomy rehearsals, and it really gave me pause for thought for sure. When a couple of the artists were like, "Ramin, you broke the glass ceiling for us being an in Iranian artist," and mm -hmm. I was like, "Did I? Why? Why did you think there was a glass ceiling? Who told mm. you you can't do it? That's what I want to know." It's like no one told me I couldn't do it. Yeah. And I'm growing up in Peterborough, Ontario, which real <laughs> hick, small town, Iranian. You want to be what? The Phantom? Yeah, whatever, you know? Yeah. But no one, no one said to me, I can't do it. Yeah. Now, I know everyone's got their own experiences and that will dictate their response and their, you know, their first step. Yeah. So it did open my eyes to maybe there is something to it, of course, that it makes people... You know, my name's not Chad or Brad, you know, it's Ramin Karim, which is already going to be like, oh, that's different. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still struggling with the whole representation thing. And it's, it's not something I, I find comfortable talking about. I'll listen because I'm trying to learn as well. Yeah. But it's odd to be in a position where you feel like people are taking listen for that reason rather than what we do. What, yeah. You know, what we dreamt of being Yeah, actors. yeah, 100%. I know exactly what you're saying. And I think that... You know, it's unavoidable that 
and this is something we've discussed as well previously, like trends occur. And I think that there are a lot of fights out there at the moment, a lot of causes that people are, are rallying behind. Um, and one of them at the moment is this sense of um, people being proud of, of where they come from and wanting a, a level playing field for their heritage and their culture alongside all the others. So when you're in an industry where you have um, movements, very powerful movements like Black Lives Matter, um, you're then you're then awakening a sense of spirit and 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 uh, a voice within other mm. communities who are then saying, well, yeah, this is amazing, and if if the black community can can be this vocal about it and get support and allyship from other communities. What about what about our community? What about where are the Middle Eastern stories? Where are the Asian stories? And I think that you're completely right to say that you were already bringing it. And I think that's what's so inspirational about you and what the younger cast members in Rumi were, were saying to you is, you know, seeing you doing it, seeing you play the Phantom with your name, with your heritage, meant that I knew that I didn't have to think about whether it was possible. Right. And I think that's what's really amazing about uh, about your trajectory. You sort of did you sort of did it in reverse. You brought it, you represented, and um you you were a role model to a lot of people. Uh, myself included, you know. We're only a few years apart in age, but I remember coming to see Phantom when I was maybe twenty, twenty one. Uh and I was eighteen seeing, at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, you, you, your. I watched you perform, and then I looked at the program in the interval, and I saw your name. And the first thing was just like, oh my god, he's Middle Eastern. He, Nadim Ramin. My brother's called Kareem. Your surname's Kareem Lou. It just felt like this is a dude whose career I need to follow. Um, and then th thankfully our paths have collided in this in this way that we can both tap into where we come from and, and that's really cool but essentially yeah I watched you take on this business and play these roles without there being uh, anything to stand in your way based on your uh, heritage and uh, that was very inspiring to me and I think that why I started writing these shows was to just push that door open a little more for other people and just get people talking about our cultures in a way that's not associated with all the negative things that the Western media portray yeah. about the Middle East, be it, be it the news, be it stories about terrorism or refugees, but also just in, uh, in cinema and TV. And you pick any American show about the Middle East, like Homeland, doesn't matter who's acting in it, doesn't matter how good the script is, I'll stop watching it when they try and pretend that they're filming a scene in Beirut on a Christian street where my family actually live, some of them, but then what you're watching on, on TV is like a desert with some goats and mm. people dressed up like they're from Iraq or a different, con like a different part of the continent altogether. And they're just going, oh yeah, this is Beirut. And people just absorb that and people buy into that and they don't, they don't have a real sense of what our part of the world is like and what it's contributed to culture and history. And See, when you say stuff like that and based on, you know, what I say is my allergic reaction to it because of my experience, coming into Rumi and seeing all that and seeing what you created with Donna and how it resonated with me, that's what gave me pause for thought as well. Because I was mm -hmm. like, well, 
this is where I felt like I was a student again, learning even about my own culture, but about how things are unraveling in the world today in our industry. So it's, I'm more, less inclined to speak less about it because I'm like, oh, I've got more questions mm. and thoughts. So that's why it was, I did feel I left enlightened more than I, well, I didn't even anticipate to explore that side mm-hmm. and to know your story and what you just said, because that's not my experience, that's yeah. your experience. And that's why yeah. it's important. I was like, oh, wow, okay. It, it just made me really proud to be part of it and to see, I can, I see what you're saying. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and totally. And I love that you didn't have, a, I love that your experience is totally different. I think that's really awesome. Did you question, can I ask you a question? Did you, um, did you ever have any encouragement to sort of change your name for the stage or do anything like that? No. Um, I remember with Equity, I don't even know if I'm Equity member now or not, but you know, you have to choose one name. Yeah. And then you get a second choice. Yeah. I thought, no way in hell anyone's going to be called Ramin Karimloo. In fact, I think I am Ramin Karimloo the first. So I picked the craziest name for the number second. two as a joke. <laughs> I don't think I'll say it on air what it was, but <laughs> I was like, one of my friends knows and he still calls me that. He's like, what if that what ended up being your name? I'm like, so? Yeah. However, who's going to ever mean Karimloo? Yeah. So were you told to change Yeah, name? I, I had that experience in the first term at drama school. I had a... He was a really great teacher. He was he was a, a very nice man, but he was from a different era. You know, he was in his seventies at the time. Uh, so he's yeah, he's ninety plus now, um, and he was a great guy. But he was from the past, shall we say? And he said to me very early on, he said, "You're going to have to change your name um, because your name doesn't match your color, and you'll work more if people think you're British." And I was 21 and very naive and I sort of sat there and was really impacted by this and I thought about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and I was like, what does he mean my name doesn't match my colour? Like, he's, he's obviously never been to Lebanon, doesn't know anything about the Middle East if he thinks that all Middle Eastern people have brown skin, number one. And number two, surely the fact that I'm the only Nadim Naman Lebanese guy in London is going to make me more unique and more of a talking point there. But he was, you know, throwing these suggestions, you know. Yeah, I want to hear like, these. Uh, like the, the one I remember the most was Dean Norman. Dean Norman. Welcome to The Hang. Dean Norman. <laughs> from Lebanon. And, my, uh, <laughs> and then I told my friends from university this story and they were like, oh, Dean Egg, you can't be Dean Norman. We want you to be Ned Newman. <laughs> Ned, yeah. So welcome to the hand. You know, and I just like it became a funny thing at the time, and life moved on. And I just threw myself into training. I made the decision not to change my name, and I didn't really think. Where did much you more get the moxie and the confidence to? No, you know what? I'm going to stay as Ned. I, th- I think just how much I love my Lebanese heritage and how much I love my Lebanese family, and the idea of telling them that I changed my name to sort of pretend I was something right. else just felt made me feel sick, made me feel physically sick, and. Um, I didn't really think much more about it for the few years after that. I just concentrated on enjoying my career and, and, and letting that kick off. But I think maybe 10 or so years later when these conversations became more um, commonplace again, I suddenly was like, I cannot believe that happened. And if it happened to me, how many other people has that happened to? Yeah. And, you know, it's the polar opposite of 
what you would hope an educational establishment would, would teach, which is to just embrace who you are and be an individual. And how many times do we hear that as performers? You know, what makes you unique is what's likely to get you work. 100%, yeah. And if we're all there changing our names and anglicising ourselves and trying to convince people we're English or, or British, um, yeah, it just felt very, very uncomfortable. And and that that ignited a conversation in my head about wanting to embrace my heritage more and share it more with people and teach people about Lebanon, even if it's just about taking them for a Lebanese meal and seeing people go, oh, right, so hummus is Lebanese. I, I never knew that. I thought it was Greek or I thought it was Cypriot. And it's because in the supermarkets here, it will say like Mediterranean dish or right. uh, they, they pick a country that most people have heard of. They, they, all these little things, which are tiny individually, but over 20, 30 years, they add up. And, um, and you know, I combine that with my school experience here, with people commenting on my, my dad must be a terrorist, ha, 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 you must be Muslim because of your name, why are you drinking? Muslims don't drink. Like all these assumptions, all these, all these things you just have to absorb and take. Wow, you got that? Yeah, yeah, I got that a lot here. Um, it's pretty bad. And it adds uh, up. So I, I wanted to rebel against it, you know. Well, good for you. You should, you know. I can't remember if that ever happened to me. Friends, like, growing up, I had... We, I grew up with such a multicultural group of friends. Like, mm. we all said the most horrible things to each other with love. <laughs> with love. And if you weren't <laughs> in the circle where I grew up, you know, someone says something to you, you give them a left and a right, fights over yeah. it, and you have a beer afterwards or whatever you make up, but you don't say something stupid without getting a smack. Yeah, times are different. <laughs> I don't recommend doing that anymore. Um, so, but that I found that inspiring with what you what you're saying and what you did, and I saw how you conducted yourself as an actor, as a producer, as a writer, composer in that room, as in Rumi, and I was. It made me think I got to do more with my life, but it, I loved how it was. I always, you know, I'm always been a proud Iranian. Once I was told to change my YouTube channel because it's called a roaming Iranian. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, you'll get more followers if you change your name. And I said, I don't care about more followers. I'm yeah. going to be me and people either like what I do or they don't. Yeah. But I guess if you like yourself, you have more of a stoic disposition. But there will people who might, oh, yeah, maybe I should change it. Yeah. I, and there definitely are. Do you think that happens less and less nowadays or it's still happening a lot? I think it happens less and I think it, it will happen a lot less now because I feel like, you know, we're talking about trends in the business. One of the, one of the current trends, I think, is for people to feel that by being um, non-white in any capacity, they have a voice and a platform that they didn't previously have. So I feel like people will embrace where they come from and who they are more and more, which is a fantastic thing. Um but I definitely have met some performers, even just doing auditions for Broken Wings and Rumi, uh, older performers who have definitely changed their names to really British sounding things. And then you find out that they're actually like 100% Middle Eastern in heritage. Wow. But they felt a pressure 20, 30 years ago to, to sort of hide that um, for fear of being judged or pigeonholed or, you know, whatever it was to them. But um, yeah, it's fascinating. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Man, I'm, I'm conscious of time because there's so much I want to jump in with you because let's keep going with Rumi. Mm. Where did oh, where did that come from? Where, we've jumped in so such into the deep end. I want to just quickly rewind. Where did you train? Like yeah, where does my, my, where do you start as the, the actor who wanted to be in a musical show to writing from? In my opinion, one of the best new musicals of our decade. That's very kind of you to say. Um, the whole thing started. So I went to university and I did a drama and English literature degree. Uh, and the main reason I did that was because I did not know at that point what department of this business I wanted to end up in. Right. So I, I knew I loved theatre, I knew I loved music, I knew I loved singing. But I didn't know if I wanted to be a writer, an actor, a um, director, w- whatever. So I just went to university and tried it, tried it all, um, which was a blast. And I did three years at Warwick University. And during the second year, I went to the Edinburgh Festival one summer and did a production of The Fix, the Dempsey and Rowe musical, The Mm. Fix, which was a total blast. And um, whilst I was in that, I met a couple of guys who were just up there on holiday who had just finished this course at the Royal Academy of Music. It's a one-year postgrad course in musical theatre. And they said, you should totally check out this course. Um, We think you'd be great for it. Uh, They love your type of performer. So I came back to, to university, I dug out all the information and I auditioned and I got in. So I finished university and went to do that course. And um, by the age of 21, had graduated and had my first agent and was uh, lucky enough to, to land a role in The Sound of Music uh, at the Palladium, which was right. a very cool first job. I spent um, a year understudying and then I got the part of Rolf. So I stayed for another six months. And I just learned everything about how a theatre works, how the departments interact, sound, lighting, stage management, covers, swings, all of that, like which they don't teach you at drama school. Right. You don't get any exposure to any of that. And pressing, pressing pause for one hot second. At this point, are you a, a musician? Like, are you a good musician? At this point, I'm just like playing my keyboard in my flat and teaching myself guitar, but I'm not. At what level I'm of a not, piano player are you at this point? Not great. Okay, Not carry great. on. Um, the only writing I'm doing at that point is I'm spending my uh, my holidays, university and drama school holidays. I'm I'm writing th- uh, theatre songs for a kids camp, a drama camp. Oh yeah, um, which was called Upstage, which is like my <laughs> yeah my education in writing. I guess it was we used to write shows with kids over five days. So these kids would arrive on a Monday morning, and by the Friday evening there would be a 40-minute show with six songs and we would devise it all with the kids and stuff. And it was just 
yeah, like you've got to write a song in three hours, go. <laughs> so it was that kind of... That's amazing. Um, you get an audition now. Can you have this two tapes by tomorrow? What? Yeah. 24 yeah. hours? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's changed. Times have changed. Um, but that was my experience of writing. And I think that maybe four or five years into my acting career, I was missing that creative side, that writing side. So I started writing songs for myself um, with no real intention of, at that point of doing a musical, just songwriting and, and putting some recordings down and just making albums, um, but really enjoying that process. And then what happened was, 10 years later, I'm playing Raoul in Phantom um, and I'm about to become a father for the first time. That role does that to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, baby-making role. Baby-making role. Um, I am meeting Donna for the first time during that during that period. So she was in London um, doing a concert at Cadogan Hall um, of her, her, own, own, her own music. She was supporting another Middle Eastern artist. And Donna's and was, your co-composer on Broken composer, Wings yes, and Rumi. Broken Wings and Rumi. And um, she... She was opening for this uh, Middle Eastern artist um, and that was her first ever uh, gig in the UK. And at the same time that week, I did a small album launch of my own stuff at the Hippodrome in uh, the casino. In Your own originals? Yeah. Um, How did I know Which is uh, called Sides. The album's called Sides. It came out six years ago. And, uh, By Ned Norman. <laughs> Dean Norman. Dean Norman. <laughs> um, and uh, we met, we were, we were thrown together by um, some mutual friends, one of whom was Ali, who, who was one of the producers on, on Rumi. Yeah. And we had this conversation where we both established that we wanted to write a musical. Neither of us wanted to do it alone because we, we had never done it before and we were a bit intimidated by the prospect. Uh, but we knew we wanted to write something that was of Middle Eastern heritage and something that felt very familiar to us uh, that we would be able to portray part of our culture easily uh, and so we we made this decision over a coffee basically um, in an hour uh, we left that saying okay let's do this let's let's go away let's let's talk about it think about it and that kicked off this process that's been going on now for five six years um, and it's great fun it's great fun that's not a long time to have two big mm. musicals done. One about to come to the West End. Yeah. Again. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's, it's mad. It's mad that it's happened that way. Usually it takes that time from idea to stage, maybe with yeah. a workshop for one. Yeah. I think we have, I think we have a few things on our side. I think firstly, the decision on both occasions to record the album first, um, just in terms of like, but you had to have the story as well, so you know what you're writing. Yes, yeah. Story, the, with Broken Wings, that was that was easier because the novel exists and it's an adaptation of a, a novel. It's a very short novel and it reads like a play. I mean, it's, it's Gibran himself narrating it and it's split into very short scenes. So it felt just like it was crying out for an adaptation. And the subject matter and the characters in that story feel very familiar. So although the, the the wider picture is the social context of Lebanon at the turn of the century, it's about arranged marriage, it's about um, 
organized religion and um, the clashes between doing the right thing versus following tradition. Mm. Um, but within within that, you have a story that's inherently very kind of West Side Story or Moulin Rouge in feel, that kind of uh, doomed lovers who who desperately want to be together, but society and other forces are keeping them apart. Right. So that felt like quite an easy way into adapting something for, for the stage. And we recorded the album and that meant, meant that people could hear it, visualise it and get behind the idea of supporting it. And I think the reason we were able to do both of these shows in the time period we've done them in is because no one else was writing shows about that topic or that part of the world. And then along comes the band's visit in the States, which is another example of how something came very quickly from off-Broadway to Broadway to Tony's and then it's kind of gone again. It's kind of vanished into the ether. And and I think that there is a real hunger for stories from other parts of the world. And when someone presents one, um, you do find, you can find your way to the stage faster than, let's say, if you were writing a show about New York or London or Paris, because let's face it, there are a lot of shows about those places already Mm -hmm. and a lot more in the queue for development as we speak. So I, 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 my advice to any young writer who is thinking about what to do and where to put their creativity, I would say just to look for stories that haven't been told yet on stage. That's a great advice. And I think you will then find your way at the front of the queue a bit faster than, I don't know, writing a song cycle about four 20-somethings in New York because there are already 10 of those. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. They're, they're all brilliant in different ways, but that's been done. Um, so I think if you do write a show like that, you're going to find it much harder to get it put on. So then how are you and Donna juggling? Because Broken Wings is still a baby in itself. It's mm. about to come back to the West mm-hmm. End. New dates in early February. Begins that's right. Yeah. 11, 11th of Feb to the 26th of March, Charing Cross Theatre. I can't miss him. I was so looking You're forward away. to seeing it. I know, it. I know. It's such the a plan shame. is I'll be gone by then. But I was looking forward to seeing it this month, but I know it's been switched. But that's still an ongoing process. Yeah. How did you then decide, well, let's do another one in the meantime, mm. called Rumi? I think that Broken, so Broken Wings' journey was totally halted by COVID. Um, at the uh, time, at the time, we had just done a run at Dubai Opera House, which was amazing. And it went really well. And we were negotiating a run in Paris for later that year. Uh, and we actually, Ali and I actually had a meeting with the Paris team the day before lock, the first lockdown was announced. We were sat on the South Bank in the sunshine, making plans about Paris, <laughs> um, which is very exciting. And then the next day it was all just like the plug was pulled. And then a year passed and none of that stuff came back. The The producers who were going to help us get the show there were like, we can't risk it. It's too much at stake. So we sort of put Broken Wings to bed not forever, but we just thought, you know what, like, let's just not worry about that now. If that show's going to have a life in the future, it will come back. And what happened was um, uh, the Royal Academy of Music musical theatre course uh, asked Brona, our, our director on Rumi, uh, if she would direct a, a show there, a project for the students. And uh, she came to me and said, can I do Broken Wings with them? 
And I said, yes, of course you can. Because had she done the version? She did the original Broken Wings as in, well, in yeah. The Haymarket. That's right. And uh, so we had this opportunity to dig the script out, make some tweaks, make some cuts. Did and you do we, rewrites? Um, we did some rewrites. Yeah, we, what we did was we reduced the cast size. So we, we sort of fused some of the roles together and made it so that there were fewer actors, but they all had a bit more to do. How very Cameron Macintosh of you. <laughs> COVID times, you know. Uh, and it was a great experience. It was really fun. Donna and I went to watch it and it, it was very moving and it was great to see students doing this material. A very surreal experience uh, for us to, to see that. Um, and th this sort of brought Broken Wings back to, to life. And what's happened now, of course, is that the, the wonderful... Katie Lipson at Aria Entertainment has taken the show on as producer. So th that's the short answer to your question. Katie is now producing Broken Wings and we are not. Whereas Rumi is still within our sort of hands. Right. And, and, and I think, if I'm being totally honest, if there had been no COVID, Rumi wouldn't be ready yet. So we would still just be doing Broken Wings and writing Rumi alongside. Right. But because we had this two-year period where we had nothing else to really do, um, and Dana happened to be in London for four or five months at the beginning of, um, I think it was the second lockdown, she happened to be here and she just stuck it out. We were able to write Act 2 in four months, whereas Act 1 had already taken more like 18 months. Wow. So we were blessed with time uh, because of the pandemic. And uh, so now it's like we're in this weird situation where the, hopefully the pandemic's coming to an end and both shows are trying to kind of come back to life alongside one another. How exciting is that for you? It's very exciting. Stressful? Um, definitely stressful because of the uncertainty still. Yeah. So, so, so you, you know, it's this weird endless cycle of getting excited and then getting let down, and then getting excited again, and then trying not to get excited because you got burnt the last time. That's why so anyone just... ever asks me, you excited, let's say, for Funny Girl, I'm like, I don't allow myself to get excited anymore. Yeah. yeah. I will be once I'm taking my first bow. We're having to train ourselves to think that way, right? Yeah, but I must have, it's hit me now, like, I'm exhausted from the, that underlying anxiety of yeah. constantly, because this is the father in me talking now, and I'm sure yeah. with you. Yeah. You know, we still got to support our families. And, yeah. Um, with Rumi then, is there, we've, we put it on his feet, rewrites? What's your process on that at uh, this point? At the moment, with Rumi, I'm thinking more small tweaks than major rewrites. Yeah, so I should ask, that sounded loaded. What's your <laughs> takeaway after the Coliseum experience? Um, my takeaway is that the show really benefits benefited from being written in an intense and short period because I have fewer thoughts for amending it than I did with Broken Wings, which was written over several years. And I think when you write a show over several years, you can kind of see parts of yourself in that script and in those lyrics of where you were at specific times. But Rumi feels like it's very channeled and very consistent within its world. And there is a definite flavour and sound and feel to the whole thing yeah uh which is very cool and um the main takeaway i have is that i'm really excited for the potential of this show because we proved that you can 
pack out a huge theatre during a pandemic when you do a show about something like Rumi. And if we can do that in London, where there are 30 other shows for people to choose from on a nightly basis, if you start taking this show to parts of the world where there may be a four or five other shows a night rather than 30, mm-hmm. and there are people of Middle Eastern and Persian and Asian communities who adore Rumi, you have a chance to do something quite big, I think. Um, so I think all we're going to try and do is, is consider the Colosseum version like level one and just keep layering it, keep layering it, expand that design, expand those costumes. Um, I think there is definitely room for a few of the characters to have a little bit more exposure. Um, I'm particularly interested in maybe adding a scene between your character and Rumi's wife, Kara. They don't have a moment alone together, which I think maybe was missing. Right. So I think like there'll be some... There'll be some tweaks, but the overall structure of the show and the order of the songs and all that, I think, flows very nicely. And I don't want to play around with it for the sake of it. Do you think um, when you put on his feet again, because you never did a workshop for that? We did. We did a dance workshop and we did a script lab. But yeah, we we never did a full workshop of the whole thing. Do you think... Because of COVID. Do you think there would be a benefit to do that now, even though it's been on its feet? Yeah, I think so. Uh, But I would think that maybe the way to do that would be to just have an extended rehearsal period next time out. So instead of just trying to revive what we did in a week, let's say, which which we could do, um, maybe try and have like a three weeks or a four weeks proper rehearsal process. And to to really just dive back in at the beginning, have the have the conversations, have the the backdrop, the the backstory, the the mm. context, and all that work that we had to, to rush um, to get the whole thing done in two weeks this time around. I have to say, when that album dropped, the supporters that do follow me on this various social media things, that music touched, and I couldn't believe such a diverse group of folks that mm. totally were moved by the music, the melodies, the story, the singing. And it's the first time I've ever been at a Zitz Probe where, one, I teared up. <laughs> I've never done that before. And I found myself, What's going on? what is this salty discharge from my eyes <laughs> at a Zitz Probe? <laughs> and I've never seen an orchestra so fully engaged. And mm-hmm. I saw some of the string players crying. Yeah, point. yeah. I, and I remember thinking, what is happening right here? It's incredible. It has that... It- the 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 subject matter and the world of Rumi, I think, has that power. Um, and I think it taps in really, really well to the current state of the world. Um, Rumi is... So much of Rumi is about self-reflection, taking a step out of your routine and your habits and questioning familiarity. And just re re um, assessing what what you really want out of your life and what you want going forward. And I think we all had that experience with COVID, right? We all had those hours on end, yeah. locked away. What is my life? What do I want to change? What's making me happy? What's making me unhappy? I've certainly lived through a lot of a lot of that. And um, it's like a I don't want to say self help. It's not self help, but it's definitely self reflection. Yeah, reflection analysis. Just connecting with yourself. And being accountable for yourself. And being accountable for yourself. Which I think 
That is... A, and that's the plot, really, of the show, isn't it? It should be a plot of life. <laughs> it should be a plot of life. And it just goes... You know, they go. all these characters go on, on a journey ignited by your character, Shamps, who encourages... Essentially, his, his, his role in the story is to encourage change, encourage growth, encourage development. And we all need that in our lives yeah. because we get so weighed down by formula and routine and pattern that we very occasionally take a step back with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And, and I think one of the best analogies that we made in the rehearsal room was the, the similarities between books and literature and scripture in Rumi's world with the mobile phone and the laptop and the tablet today. And this thing that Shamp says of, you know, put that down and look up and look around you. Everything you're seeking is already here. You just need to notice it and engage with it rather than living your life according to what someone else has written or someone else has created. And, and we do that. Or these we, echo chambers we live in nowadays as well. Yeah. Well, I have to say, as you're talking about that, it, what really hit me was watching how you all staged Lightning, mm. your, your, one of your first main solos, which you do brilliantly. Thank you. I, you're one of my favorite singers. But Thank you. Just that whole performance, that that song, but seeing you, you know, taking their laptops and their tablets away. And hmm. As much as you've enlightened me as a performer, as a, a Middle Eastern man, it's made me think about things that, that I felt I was always doing, but I don't want to say taken for granted because I always been grew up thinking hard work, or grit, and hard work will get you where you need to go. Yeah, just keep believing, keep eye on the prize. But it was great to kind of have that pause for thought, seeing with what you brought as a writer, as an actor, as a producer, as a friend in mm -hmm. the room with all these Middle Eastern actors. It was really beautiful, and it made me one miss home, <laughs> you yeah, know, because definitely yeah. all my roots are still back in Canada and obviously Iran. But now every time I take so much more pride when I see my Sunday message, your screen time has gone down 70%. I'm like, and it brings me back to that moment, the show, because I was like, yeah, we yeah. are. Why, why are our heads here? Why aren't we looking up more? Yeah, yeah. And people say it every day, like, you know, you, you'd be walking around town with someone and, and they'll be like, oh, look at that building. It's so beautiful. I've never noticed it. I've walked past this road 300 times. Yeah, and we do like we get out of the tube station, we walk to the stage door, we go into the theatre, we get our coffee from the same place every day. We have we all live like that. Um, and then we get home and we might 
check our phone or uh, sit down and watch a TV show before we, I don't know, we might just want to mix it up one evening and decide to do something with our kids in a different way or whatever it might be. I don't know. It's breaking the routine is, is everything, I think. Uh, yeah. this, this, this way of thinking is encouraging us to, to, to improve our lives or even, not, even if it's not about improving, just about exploring and, and reflecting. Um, and I think that what was so beautiful is that the feedback from the audience tapped into this and and we had a lot of people saying I just felt like I was somewhere else mm. I felt like you just took me took me away somewhere um as a company as a as a show I felt like I was somewhere different and I was just moved and I don't really know why I was moved but I was so I think that we're going in the right direction and I and I cannot wait for us to pick this up again at some point um you know later in the year all being well with covid etc but to to take this show to the cultures that the show comes from, I think could be quite a profound and, and uplifting experience for everybody. Well, whether it's here, whether it's there, it's going to be, I think it's uh, uplifting and beneficial for everyone, for the story, mm -hmm. for this music and how it touches their hearts without even them fully understanding why right now. But mm -hmm. planting those seeds, I think, will grow into something really beautiful. Buddy, I've, there's a couple of things I want to ask you. Time is just slowly running out. So I figure, well, we might as well just keep it about Rumi and Broken Wings for now. But I want to just say thank you so much for, one, being here, but having me part of Rumi. <laughs> the things you, you personally enlightened me about through our connection over the year, working on this project, seeing you work in this industry, I think we're in the midst of... Uh, very big force to be reckoned with in our industry with what you're about to become i think you're going to be super influential in all the right reasons oh that's really and kind I'm, of you i'm to really say. proud <laughs> to see the work you've done in such a short space of time i'm super glad uh you're my buddy yeah I mean, and, listen uh, it's I'm been part of all this with you it's been a total pleasure for me to to get to know you um within the specifics of this experience it's you know as i said at the start of this conversation that I've been aware of you and your career since I was a student. And, you know, yeah, we crossed paths before we did. I remember we did, uh, like, Phantom 25th, the yeah. Albert Hall. Uh, and before that, Love Never Dies workshops, you know, before that was even a show. Um, Holy crap. Was that the act one or act two did you do with? I did. We, I did with the, the, no, the, no, the full thing yeah, at Jerwood. the third one. The third one at Jerwood Space. And there was I, like, yeah, I was, that was when I was in Sound of Music. So I was 21, 22 just doing yeah, my first workshop, 18, learning. You were eighteen. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Am I that much older than you? You're you're not, no, you're not that much older than me. You're not that much older than me. I was twenty-eight. I, I think, think we're about five or six years. Who's counting? Yeah. Who's counting? It's nothing. It's nothing. Who's counting? Um, and uh, yeah, so to, to 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 kind of both just be existing within the business for all that time, but and to to have a reason, a project that enabled us to click this way and spend this much time together and work together, like properly work together. Mm. Um, and in a way that's deeper than just being colleagues cast in a show. Like it, it, there's a reason that we wanted you on this project and it is because you are the perfect combination of leading man, but pe Persian, you're of the right, you're, you, you're literally like, we couldn't find anyone on planet earth more suited for this role and this show. And um, you could easily, you could easily have played Rumi. We should maybe do that 
uh, role switch thing that they do in some shows. Yeah. But is it Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch and Johnny, Johnny Miller? Miller? Yeah, let's we can do swipe that one day. It, swipe every week. Just for fun. Um, but it, but there's something about the dynamic between um, Shamps and Rumi at this point in Rumi's life where he's emerging and Shamps is like, Shamps, is, I, we're always emerging and growing, but Shamps is very much a man who is in his skin and wants to share and wants to help someone else grow. And I feel like we kind of have that dynamic yeah. in our friendship. And so it feels like a really natural, it felt so natural to do those scenes with you and th- those songs with you. And uh, yeah, like I regret, I, re- I regret already the day when uh, you will be like shooting a Hollywood film and unable to to do what are you talking about? I'm going time. to be shooting the one you wrote, so forget about it. <laughs> Listen, I got a question from a friend okay. on my app. I thought you could answer this one. I got three questions for you. One from the supporter on this app and then two from me. Uh, Estera, I hope I'm saying that name correctly, would be really interested in hearing about the differences between playing a historical character and purely fictional one. Mm. How much creative liberty is there to make a character's a character one's own and how much is trying to to accurately present who they were Nadim springs to mind to ask this that's a really good question um in the context of the shows we're discussing today i think that rumi was difficult because well for two reasons firstly he he is a spiritual icon and he is in many parts of the world kind of well he is he's a religious figure in our musical, we're trying to explore him as a human being. Um, but the reality is that he's an icon. And that makes it quite intimidating. Much like, I suppose, anyone who has played a role like Jesus Christ or Gandhi or, you know, a famous or Churchill, like a really famous, iconic person, um, you know that there are going to be people who have an opinion of this character and if you don't match that vision they have in their head, you're just going to disappoint them. So that's quite scary. But what happens with Rumi in this instance is that we're exploring a part of his life before he became the poet, philosopher, icon. You know, if you see any paintings of Rumi or um, illustrations of Rumi, they are always of him at the end of his life. A huge silver beard, a man in his 60s, 70s. We're looking at how Rumi became that. And he's 35, 36 in our story. So that was quite liberating because it was what we know about him at that point in his life is that he was a very well-respected and revered but very straight-laced teacher, Um, the leader of the religious community in Konya. And his life was by the book. Then through the events of our story, he shifts from that bookworm, scholar, to artist, poet, thinker type. Yeah. Um, so that was the that was the source for me of, of how to approach the character, was to, to, to not think about the fact that I was playing the finished article, but to, to yeah. kind of focus on the creation of that man um, and rooting it in the relationships with his loved ones. Um, Gibran in Broken Wings is easier because that was pretty recent 
there's a lot of literature about him. Mm-hmm. There are video clips of him. There are photos of him. Um, and he is writing in the first person in a lot of his books. And especially in Broken Wings, he's narrating it yeah. about his past. So he is telling you how he felt about things. Um, so that feels like it's an easier template to follow. Gotcha. Um, and the last bit of that question is that when you're doing, when I'm doing, obviously we will have our own processes, but when I'm doing a fictional character, our job is to kind of create that material for ourselves with the help of the director and the creative team and stuff. But yeah, to to distinguish between um, doing your own research uh, versus creating your own backdrop is the main difference. But even then with fictional characters, there's often source material. So like Fan- even Phantom or Les Mis or any of these shows, you can go and read the book yeah. and the book will give you a thousand ideas about how someone might walk, speak, what their hair might look like, what uh, attitude they have, what temperament they have. And it's up to you how much you want to dip into that or let's just listen to your director. Beautifully put, my friend. And very quickly, what made you smile yesterday? What made me smile yesterday? Uh, thinking about the fact that my daughter had her first ever swimming lesson on, uh, on, on Sunday and like just talking about that with her and reliving that experience. Mate, that's putting your child, putting your child in the water and not being in the water with them for the first time. Yeah, if you, any parents out there, if you've not done that yet, when you do that, just prepare yourself for all the emotions. <laughs> <laughs> and first childhood memory that comes to mind, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, first childhood memory that comes to mind. When I was about five years old, I was on a holiday in Spain, and um, my cousin was babysitting me. And she momentarily looked away and I fell in a fish pond. And I remember that getting out and being covered in like green algae and stuff. I know that's totally random. But really that is thought the youngest... it'd be like a, the first time you had ice cream or something. No, but... it's that, it's that's, the, that's the youngest thing that I can remember, probably because I was traumatized. From one swimming story <laughs> to another. Me. Yes. Brother, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for coming on The Hang. Thanks Love for having you. me. Proud of you. You're awesome. Love you too, ma'am. You've been listening to The Hang. I am Ramin Karamli. The Hang is produced by Mercy Productions and Desert Highway and recorded at Soho Live Studios. Check out my new app. Go to ramin.fan.direct where you can find brand new content, giveaways, and exclusive news. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. <laughs> 